As the summer careens towards football season, our 2023 positional breakdown series rolls along with it. Today, we're diving into what might be the Seahawks' most volatile group, the defensive line, with former collegiate defensive lineman and current NFL writer for Yahoo Sports, Charles McDonald. Let's light him up. I'm Jackson Bevins, and this is Cigar Thoughts. Welcome back to the Cigar Lounge. I am Jackson Bevins, and along with my persnickety producer, Mike Barwin, this is the Cigar Thoughts Podcast. Mike, how are we doing today? I get uh, I get persnickety a lot, so mm-hmm. um, I'm doing well, Jackson. Doing well. I'm, I find it very convenient and thoughtful that the NFL decides to have their deadest of seasons during the months with the nicest weather. So yes. shouts to shouts to Goodell, shouts to everybody on that front. But uh, yeah, doing well, doing well. I heard uh, you got out of town this weekend. How was your how were your travels? I did, man. Yeah, I was just in Denver for a bachelor party last weekend, which was awesome, but did not know that Taylor Swift was playing at Mile High at the same time. Oh, yep. And, and I got to tell you, the Swifties absolutely took over that city. Uh, it was funny. We went out to golf at Arrowhead, which is like a 30 minute Uber ride from where we were. But on the way back, it took over two hours due to concert traffic. Like it was crazy. It was like the walking dead, except for with way more joy and glitter. (laughs) Plus, plus the Yankees were in town playing the Rockies. So you had all that going on. So Denver was popping. They showed us a great time. And it was actually kind of cool because the place we were staying was like three blocks from the stadium where, uh, swift was playing and all the townhouses around there have roof decks and so they're all filled with people who are watching we could like see the big screen and stuff hear the music it's kind of fun so uh taylor swift concert wasn't on the list for the bachelor party but uh worked out wow man sounds like a big few days for you between the taylor swift concert and uh the new seahawks unis dropping oh yeah huge huge week congratulations yeah man they freaking nailed that too i mean everything from the actual uniforms themselves to the website with the Windows 95 dial-up happening on it. Uh, The launch video was sublime. Had me wondering if you were producing it. Everything, everything was pristine. They really killed the rollout. The jerseys, (laughs) I feel like they... They didn't have to do much. You really just had to copy and paste the old ones into the new Yeah, but era. they resisted the urge. They, they resisted they really the urge. Did. They didn't add any window dressing, didn't get too cute with it. They nailed it. They all look awesome. The fonts, the colors. Oh, God. It's No, great. man, they listen to the people, and it just leaves one question. Which jersey are you getting? There are a lot that are that are very clean. The K9 jersey's nice. The Tariq Woolen jersey's nice. The Bobby jersey. I mean, it's it's fucked up because they're all so awesome. Like you could know. just line your entire walls with all of them. They're they're art pieces. All I, I hope they go to the away jerseys too to give me an excuse to get two. Because for me, like if I'm just listening to my loins, I'm getting that Jackson Smith and Jigba number eleven. Just Who slim. Who could have clean? Like pure gas on that one. But because it's throwback. I feel like I got to give a nod to the vintage player, the Hawk father. I don't have a Bobby Wagner jersey yet. I think this is my excuse. It might be time. It might be time. Yeah. And honestly, I feel like we as a collective were able to bully the team into bringing these uniforms back for their alternate jerseys. 
I think it's high That's time. I, I haven't even seen it yet. It's, it's bullying. We works. did that. We did that. Bullying works. I feel like it's high time that even without seeing them on the field yet in them, I think we should get those threads to be their full-time uni. So you can Absolutely. get those white away ones as well. Absolutely. Um, and the other thing of note Wolf Gray is no more. They did away with it. They they chose that, Action RIP. Green instead. Instead, so to all of you Action Green proponents out there, I hope you know you're complicit in this. Yeah, man. I I'm not like a huge Wolf Gray guy either, but I do think they got rid of the lesser of two evils. But here's here's the thing. You know, there's a lot of people out there, even people listening, who love the Action Green. And the thing is, the universe needs balance. And you can't only have good opinions. There have to be wrong opinion havers out there. And so that's why the action green is there. It's it's to feed the other side of the scale. That's right. So yeah, man, I'm I'm feeling good about that. But you know, those jerseys are sick. And I'm also excited to be back in town because we get to keep this offseason series rolling. And today we're focusing on Seattle's defensive line with one of the sharpest guys covering the sport. But before we get to that, quick reminder. You can all still get your official Cigar Thoughts cigars directly from CigarThoughtsNFL.com. Just follow the link and place your order to get these easy-to-smoke stogies rolled with 13-year-aged premium Dominican tobacco leaf. Or hit us up on Twitter or Instagram, as many of you have, and we'll send you the deets directly. Or you can click the link in the show page on whatever platform you're listening to us on. One of the most consistent pieces of feedback we've received is that there's no negative feelings afterwards. You know, a lot of cheaper cigars kind of leave you feeling sick when you're done, but the benefit of high-end smoke is that you can enjoy them and still feel great afterward. We've also launched our YouTube channel where you can catch entire episodes as well as video clips from every show, including this one. This is one of the best ways you can support Cigar Thoughts, so we are grateful for the few seconds y'all can take to subscribe and like the videos. And as far as today's show goes, I'm excited to dive into the D-line, man. It's a position group that, as of right now, has more questions than it does answers. The good news is we brought a hell of an answer guy with us today, as we're joined by the co-host of the insightful Setting the Edge podcast. He's also an NFL writer for Yahoo Sports and a veteran of this show right here. He is the brilliant Charles McDonald. Charles, thanks for hanging out. Thanks. Wow, that's a hell of an introduction. Although I feel like I should say the... uh... I don't think we ever close it out, but suddenly I just definitely defunct by now. We just kind of just, <laughs> we kind of just stopped doing it, <laughs> you know? Yeah, legacy, uh, legacy. Well, yeah, because it's definitely a strong legacy. I mean, I still get people to this day talking to me about it, but like there was a point where um, I think like Justice was doing work with the XFL. I was, you know, taking on a bigger role with my work with the Daily News and, you know, the pandemic hit. We were just like, ugh, what? sit and record this podcast for free right, like, right. <laughs> so it just it just kind of just kind of fell apart but you know maybe, maybe someday we'll have a reunion episode where we just go and you know sound like we have two tin cans on a string from house to house yeah. <laughs> yeah. order pizza in the middle of it and get people all riled up well you got the exempt list pod now too right yeah that'll be back uh sometime before let's call it the kickoff of this season so Clock's ticking, but uh, that'll definitely be back inside to get that back up and running. So, yeah, we're, we're working on some stuff over here at Yahoo. I think uh, uh, we have some cool products that we can show you guys in, you know, let's call it like a five weeks or so. Right on. Well, that's great, man. And thanks again for coming in. You know, I want to get into the Seahawks defensive line with you because right now it's probably the biggest cause for concern on this roster. But first, I do want to lean on you so that we can all get a better understanding of the positions that make up the D-line so we know what we're talking about. You know, growing up, there were defensive ends and defensive tackles, nose tackles, right? But these days, as positions have gotten less defined and teams have embraced scheme fluidity, 
We often hear D-linemen referred to by the techniques they play, a la five-tech, three-tech, etc. Can you enlighten us on the differences and what's expected of those different players? Yeah, it, it, okay, it all depends. Because I know I've gotten in a... Well, it doesn't really depend on, on, on where you're lined up and like what skill set that would ask of you. It kind of depends on, like, I guess how you would label it. But for the sake of, like, this conversation, um, you know, you, you kind of have your, your, your interior guys that are, like, um, like let, let's just start, like, inside out. So the, the, the most inside you can get to the ball is right over the center, zero technique. So that's, like, your nose tackle. Your, your guys that you're stereotypically thinking of, like a Casey Hampton, uh, Chris Jenkins, someone that's kind of just going to sit there, not get a whole lot of sacks, and really like you're, you're lined up straight like over a, the ball, <laughs> right over the ball, and like your job is basically to act as like an an offensive lineman for your linebackers, right? You're just going to eat up as much space as you can, try to stop those uh, offensive linemen from getting to the second level, clog up space, and you know, kind of fear things for people around you, and uh, that 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 that's like one of the big two gapper positions where you're going to be playing the gaps to both sides, both sides of you. So like when you're talking about three man fronts, it usually all starts like when you're, when you're installing the stuff in camp, it all starts with like a basic zero technique where you're just lined up right over the center. You got both a gaps. That's your job. Um, and if we're going to stay like in that defense, um, you know, there, there's like little disagreements on how to label it, but it's like a five technique or what I would consider like a four technique where you're lined up right over um, the tackle. So on that on that side, you're going to be um, mainly responsible, unless you're like slanting inside or outside, you're going to be responsible for both gaps on like each side of the tackle, right? Those are kind of like your your main two gap positions where if you're playing like a 3-4 defense and you have three down linemen, it's kind of like a math problem, right? If you have fewer defensive linemen down, you need those guys to take up more gaps on their own. So Usually when you look at like those types of guys, what we would call like a, a traditional guy who's going to play two gaps. They're usually a little bit bigger, um, a little bit longer, a little stronger because those guys have to be able to hold the point of attack against offensive linemen. And then there's like what I would call the fun positions, the one gap guys where you're playing, you, you're, you're trying to get up the field. So a lot of, um, you know, one techniques, those are usually like your smaller nose tackles. I would, I would say like a, a guy that comes to mind who might not be like a, a pro bowl or, you know, all pro kind of guy, but was still really good. Like Brandon Meebane, like, mm-hmm. you know, you're, you're still holding the point, but you have a little bit more freedom to get up field. Um, and then there's just like the classic three technique. You're lined up outside shoulder of the offensive guard. And your job is basically to just get up the field and cause as much havoc as you can, at least in the fun defense. You know, there's some defensive coordinators who, you know, they want you to play it slow first and, are, you know, the integrity of the defense is everything. But, like, when you're thinking about your three technique that's lined up over the guard, you're thinking, like, you know, Aaron Donald, Warren Sapp, like those, <clears throat> excuse me, those kinds of guys where you're just trying to fly up the field and, and make as many plays as possible. So um, those are, like, kind of the main, you know, variations, I'd say, that that people really care about when you're talking about interior defensive linemen. And then there's, you know, depending on, like, how complicated you want to get into it, there's, like, little flex fronts where you have like a two technique where you're just straight up head over a guard or two eye or four eye where you're lined up on the inside shoulder of those guards. Uh, and your rules can change based on where you're just aligned. And, and look, it, it, it kind of seems like, you know, it, it kind of seems like a lot when you're looking at installing a defense. I remember when I played in college, uh, I played, uh, I played a lot of three technique, but then 
there's times where you have to flip to a four eye and it's the same gap, right? Cause a, a three technique, your outside shoulder of the guard, a four eye, your inside shoulder to tackle. So you're still in the B gap, but like your responsibilities and your movements and the way you have to react to certain stimuli that are in front of you, they change like, like crazy. So it's not all the same position, even if it just looks like the same shit when right. you're watching it play throughout the game, it, it, there, there's really a lot going on there, but that's a, uh, a pretty basic synopsis that I can get without, you know, drawing it on a piece of paper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and feel free to get as deep in the weeds over the course as you want, man. We we love that shit. So uh, we appreciate you kind of giving us the the overview. One other question that I have for you, because you've got experience playing and then also obviously covering the position, covering the sport as a whole. What is the biggest misconception that most fans have about playing defensive line in the NFL? Oh God! And this is this, this is easy. I, I it's <laughs> like my biggest, uh, like it's the biggest thing that pisses me off when I hear, like during draft season when you read stuff, and you're like, oh, you know, this guy doesn't go 100 percent on every play. I'm like, well, of course not. Like, and it's like he's he's 300 pounds. Like, I don't, I don't know what what that would even look like. And then I think, especially when you look at colleges and the the rotations, most teams are not like Georgia where you have like a two deep of five stars that you can rely on. So someone like, you know, especially in 2021, like Jalen Carter can just be super fresh all the time. It, it's usually going to look more like, you know, I remember when Buda Vea was at Washington, he was like 350 pounds playing like every damn snap. Right. And it was, right. it was unbelievable. Um, and then, you know, you have, oh, is it effort problems? Is he lazy? No, like, you know. I swear, that's the only playing. position. It's the only position you hear people right. say, like, I don't one. know about his motor. <laughs> yeah, and it's like, okay, well, he, he's 300 pounds. Like, I don't, I don't know. If you if you knew what you were watching with offensive linemen were playing, you would see some offensive linemen, you know, take it easy on, on those plays, too. But the problem is, like, you, you see people where it's like, oh, you know, he's loafing a little bit. But really what it is, I think when you're out there, you know – when when to conserve your energy and when to kind of push it. Like if I'm super backside on a play and a running back's running away from me, yeah, I'll give chase, but I know I'm not going to get there. Right. So why would I kill myself, yeah. <laughs> you know, trying to make that happen? I'm there on the cleanup. Um, and, you know, I, I, I think sometimes people don't always know what, like, uh, you know, what good effort looks like. Um, and that's annoying. And then another one that I hate, and this is this is more just like me being a snob. It's like when people say um, hand usage, like as a pass rusher. I'm like, well, what does that mean? Because I remember when Dante Fowler was coming out of Florida, and you know, people would talk about, oh, he's got such great hands coming on the edge. And then I watched him, and I was like, he's not he's not doing anything. Like he's running and he's flailing his arms, you know, <laughs> trying to just make something happen. But there's no plan here. There's no. Uh, technique being used here, but he's flying his arms to people. It's like, oh, that's hand usage. No, like it's all, it, it's all very precise. You know, it, it's, yeah, I, and I think, I think the precision of like defensive line play, it, it makes more sense when you bring into the focus of like how quick these, these plays move yeah. and how quickly, you know, teams are getting the ball off, how quickly uh, they're getting, you know, the ball into the hands of a running back and he's all of a sudden running the other way. It all happens in like two or three seconds. So, you can't really waste time if you're trying to get up the field, trying to make something happen. So, um, you know, I, 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 and I, and look, that's something that takes a long time to notice. I mean, I am lucky that I spent literally my entire football career playing defensive line. And then uh, I coached for a year uh, after college at a high school playing or coaching defensive line. So I've got a, I've got a good amount of knowledge on the subject, but 
it just kind of irks me when I'm when I'm watching people on Twitter break down clips. I'm like, ugh, this is so wrong. But if you check my Twitter bio, it says former arguer, so I don't really get into that. Yeah, stuff yeah, yeah. It's it's funny. That's that's <laughs> like a, a recurring theme on this show when we talk with 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 guests. They're like, man, I got to stay away from these. Twitter arguments, people showing clips and <laughs> like Dugar last week talking it, about how crazy. like players, how hard it is for players to not like jump in on some of these uh, Twitter experts oh, hell and, yeah. and say, no, 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 you don't even understand. Yeah, they see, they see all this stuff. And it's like, ah, and, and um, I, I, I imagine it's hard when you see people tweeting about you because I know if I was that important, I don't do this now, but I know if I was like that big to the point where people watch me play every Sunday, yeah, I might, I might look and see what people are saying about me on Twitter. Totally, just to, totally, man. I don't, I don't know how you could, how, how, how could you resist that? Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. We're, we're we're all human, and that's as not, not to disparage some of the great analytical and video work that's being done on Twitter. It's just a lot of times there's assumptions about a player's responsibilities that you just have no way of knowing. Well, right? Yeah, we're yeah. we're just guessing. And look, look, I, I can tell you firsthand, there's a lot of guys on that field guessing too sometimes. So like, it's all, <laughs> it's all an imperfect science. I don't know if, if you guys, okay, so yeah, this is my fan I'm showing up here, but former Falcons cornerback Jalen Collins has a podcast, and it is so funny, bro. Like, it's, <laughs> they, they just have, it, it, it's kind of like, what if all the guys who, like, played football but like kind of cared about football started a podcast about their football experience yeah yeah that's what it's like so so there's this one episode where i don't know who they were talking to some linebacker and they were talking about like what do you do when you go out there and you don't know your your assignment on the play it's like yo am i supposed to blitz on this joint what am i supposed to do (laughs) and they're talking about you know how you just hop around and just stand there look the players are not infallible on some of these things too but they tend to know a little bit more than what's going on yeah. than maybe your average like Twitter person. <laughs> yeah, totally. I hear that, man. And you know, I I do want to talk to you about Seattle's defensive line. You know, we saw some flashes. Got roughly ten sacks each from Uchenna Nwosu and Daryl Taylor, but they were consistently getting gashed by opponent teams' running games, including your Atlanta Falcons. Just friggin' took the ball out of Mariota's hands. Uh, and and honestly, Seattle was switching back and forth between schemes under their new defensive coordinator, Clint Hurt, trying to figure out what the best fit was. And ultimately, they end up ranking near the bottom of the league in just about every way you can measure run defense. So when you look at Seattle's defensive front last year, what stands out to you the most? Uh, I mean, it was just so bad, like in a way that <laughs> I was, but you know, cause they, that you're not really used to seeing from them, right? Because like the whole, I feel like the whole mantra of, of at least like this era of Seahawks football is like, yeah, we're we're going to be able to stop the run for sure. Um, and I don't know if it was always like um, a defensive line problem versus just like a whole defense problem, yeah. right? Because, you know, I, 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 I think when you look at some of the, like the individual players, right, that you're, that you're dealing with um, that were on the team last year, I'm thinking like what, Al Woods, mm-hmm. Puno Ford, I feel like those guys like in a vacuum can play good run defense, but as a whole, like it just, it just wasn't, it wasn't clicking. And then that, to me, that makes you start thinking about like, um, you know, when, when I've seen these guys be good in the NFL before at this level, when it's not clicking like that, maybe it's like a defensive coordinator problem. Maybe it's just like a scheme problem. They're trying to get things sorted out. Um, maybe teams have figured out like a structural weakness, or maybe some of these guys are just like, you know, a little bit, 
overrated it and and on the hill, but I, and over the hill. But I do think that you know, to a degree, they they kind of needed to re rechange uh, just something they were doing personnel wise because uh, clearly it wasn't working. I I I do kind of wonder though if this current setup that they have is like the answer to their problems. Um, I don't expect it to be as bad as last year, just because that was. It, it, it's it's one of those things where you know you're you weren't you're not quite like um the browns and the charters i don't think i don't think they were quite that bad but it was still you know alarmingly bad where you you have these situations where yeah we know throwing the ball is better throwing the ball is what's going to work in the modern nfl but there are like these outlier things right where if you're so bad against the run why, why the hell would I throw it? Because yeah. I can keep the ball out of the air and pick up five yards of pop every single time. Um, and yeah, it, it's not like the most efficient way to play football, but it's an easy and safe play to play football. And if you're not going to, if you're not going to make those tackles on the back end against the run, then you can kind of get gashed. So it, it, it does end up becoming something that you, I think you have to invest resources into um, and try and fix. But to me, like this current Seahawks defensive line setup, it's more like, you know, we, we talked at the start of the show about, you know, the guys, you know, body types and guys who are going to two gap versus who are going to get up the field. To me, this this looks more like um, a front that would be suited to to get up the field and kind of make plays and, and take those risks because there's kind of like, there's two styles to me of, of of playing run defense. You know, there's there's like the Belichickian way where we'll, we will just sit at the line of scrimmage and kind of sacrifice like these tackle for loss chances for one and two yard gains and and just stuff it like that and then there's like the way you know the the 49ers have been playing over the past few years where we're gonna let our defensive linemen be athletes get the field and we're gonna let them take risks to make those explosive plays in the backfield i don't really think that either way is wrong but the way that this seahawks defensive line is currently set up especially with someone like draymond jones to me that that yeah it just seems like they're you know they're they're geared more towards trying to get the field be penetrators. Yeah, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna talk about Draymond here in a minute because yeah, he's he's totally the type that's like there to knife through the line and try and make something happen in the backfield instead of being your Al Woods where I'm gonna try and clog up two blockers, let a linebacker make a play. But to your earlier point about the run defense and yeah, maybe it's not the most exciting way to play football. It is also the most frustrating way to watch your team lose is when they just can't get off the field and the clock keeps running and you look up and it was a 14 play nine minute drive. And you're just like, God damn, man, there, there goes like at least one offensive possession this game, maybe two because we couldn't get off the field and now we're gassed and God forbid we go three and out on this next drive because they're just going to do it again. So, you know, that's, I, I like having defensive linemen who are able to make those explosive plays, like you said, but, Man, I I am concerned about their ability to keep last year's Raiders game, last year's Falcons game, last year's Panthers game from happening where you know it's coming, just didn't matter, couldn't get off the field. And and to your point about kind of figuring out what the defensive identity was last year, we had Greg Bell on a few weeks ago, uh, you know, he covers the team, does a really beautiful job, and he was saying, man, in Wosu and Taylor, they got their sacks because they were out there freelancing. Like, it wasn't even just, hey, this is what you need to do on this play. It was just like, all right, guys, just just go make a play. <laughs> we need something. Yeah. <laughs> Someone, something, look, someone's got to make these plays. And I, I, I think that the freelancing – Freelancing on the defensive line, I don't think it's one of those 
those things that kind of gets caught by like your everyday viewer. To me, it's easy as hell to figure out when someone's freelancing the secondary. Like um, the biggest culprit of, to me of that recently has been a uh, that's that Raider safety, they, Jonathan Abrams. Right. I don't think he's with the team anymore. Seahawks he was, legend. Yes. Yeah, okay. He he was one of those guys where it's like. Do you, do you think you're like Troy Polamalu or something? Do you think do you think you're Ed Reed? Like you just play your responsibility and like you can tell on on like the coverage back end. Like when you have two guys in the same spot, where one guy is like not really paying attention but just trying to read the quarterback's eyes all across the field and you know running all over the place. That's usually you can tell when those one of those guys are freelancing. But on the defensive line, it's like it's a little bit harder, especially from the broadcast angle. But you know, I I think when this is just from my experience playing. Like when you have stretches where you go and no one's making a play, like nothing's happening. It's just you're 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 frustrated out there. You know, you start kind of bending the rules on what's possible within, sure. um, you know, whatever your 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 scheme or, or coaching setup is. And I think you know sometimes for defensive linemen, it looks like you know knife in a gap that you're not supposed to be in. And then sometimes you get home, the other times the running back bounces it to where you were and there's like a 20-yard gain right there. Um, or, you know, you're, you're rushing in the gap that you're not supposed to be in and all of a sudden you're, you're running over your teammate because you think you might have a better, uh, a better matchup against their offensive lineman than they do. Uh, and sometimes it works, you know. Sometimes you're able to get home and get that sack, but when it, comes, when it becomes a habit that, that guys get into, then it's really easy for op- offense to start like manipulating those rules. And then when you're playing against guys like, you know, in your own division, Shanahan and McVay, like that can be tough to kind of reconcile at times, even, even if you do end up winning those games against the Rams. Yeah, totally. And you know, it's, it's easy to overlook that the way you play on a specific snap affects how all the guys next to you do too, right? Like to your point, if one guy is just keeping assignment integrity and is like, you know what, I'm just going to eat up this block on this play and then someone else ain't doing their job. It's like, well, I just wasted that, right? Like I did my job and we still got burned. And so, you know, it was when Walter Jones was on, he was saying the same thing on the offensive line. It's just like, you guys are a unit. And if one person is off script, it can make everybody else look bad. Yeah. Yeah. And especially I think when you look at like the Seahawks defense, which has been a three, four defense for, for a while now, I, I, I think, um, to me, when you have a three-man front and you're playing with like those odd surfaces, it's it's it almost becomes more imperative to um, to kind of play gap sound and play within your rule set because you you don't have like the dice roll of the wild card of you know someone just getting back there and making a play for the most part. Like you're gonna have your people just like sitting on the line of scrimmage. There's not gonna be a whole lot of chaos like you know getting to the backfield unless it's like orchestrated with a blitz or a stunner or something like that. So you kind of just got to play to your rules. And it's one of those spots where if we're going to do like the Belichick style of, you know, we're going to sit on the line of scrimmage, we're going to suffocate, we're just going to try to hold it, then you've got to stay strong and play to your rules. Because if you jump out and, you know, all of a sudden the, the C gap that I was guarding becomes like a D gap or, you know, you're pushing out towards the sideline, then that's no good because there's no one on the, on the other side of the field like trying to get back there and be aggressive and make a play. It, it's more forgivable, like – like this year, watch the Jets when they when they go on defense. Like Quinn Williams, he has like free reign to do whatever the hell he wants. Right, right. you know, just oh, he's Quinn Williams. He's Quinn Williams. <laughs> yeah. You know, right? So, so you you get you get up there, you have two way go, figure out if you can get through the A gap or the B gap, and you kind of trust to make a play. And the rest of those guys, they kind of get to play that way too because 
it becomes like this controlled form of havoc if your front four guys can just kind of get through the line of scrimmage. But if you're not going to play that way, then, it, then everyone needs to be doing what they're supposed to be doing. And, and I think that's where defenses fall into a trap sometimes. I think the, the coaching staff in the front office are envisioning that the return of Bobby Wagner, even if he's not like a linebacker, obviously not a defensive lineman, but his presence and his scheme fluency is going to help get everybody in their right places and reduce that yeah. havoc, reduce that off script, people not being in the correct. He's, he's kind of so the sun so that the rest of the planets revolve around. And that just wasn't quite there. I mean, I like Jordan Brooks, but it takes a while to become Bobby Wagner. Not, you know, and I'm not even putting it on him that he's going to, but I, I'm just talking about from a, always in the right place and making sure the guys around you are in the right place. Oh yeah. I, I agree with you on that, Mike. I'm about to say, that kind of reminds me, and I, I really hope it's not this drastic for Bobby Wagner this year, but it reminds me of uh, those 2015 Broncos. Remember Peyton got benched? Like, I think mean, he had three interceptions versus a half yeah. against like, Kansas City that year or something. And then Brock Osler came in, and, and Brock was, like, functionally the better quarterback. But, you know, he doesn't know what's going on. So that at some point, they're like, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> got to put Peyton back in just so we can, like, orchestrate this in a way where you know we're, we're being a little bit more consistent and you know like you said it takes a lot of time to get to that level of mastery bobby what this is year 12 13 for him yeah. i think coming to uh you know coming back to seattle this year so you know if he's not if he's not like too cooked because i think bobby's like at that point where any year could be the year where yeah. it just doesn't work anymore um if he's not too cooked, I think this will work out for him because, you know, I, I'm, I'm a pretty big fan of Jordan Brooks. I think he's really good. Um, but it still does help to kind of sometimes when you're a younger player who's been banged up a little bit, maybe just to get, quote, unquote, your big brother back to stabilize it. And then yep. maybe next year he'll be in a better spot to, you know, kind of mentally command the Seahawks defense. No, I think I think you're right there. And, you know, the Seahawks did address the D-line a bit in the offseason, but they also, at least as of now, have let go of some those guys that you mentioned earlier, Al Woods, Puna Ford, Shelby Harris, that creates even more holes to fill. And they've attempted to do that by signing Draymond Jones, who we're going to talk about in a second. They brought Jaron Reed back. They drafted Derek Hall in the third round, Cam Young in the fourth, Mike Morris in the fifth. Rookies are always exciting. Reed is a familiar face. But Jones, I mean, that, that's the biggest D-line contract John Schneider's ever given. He was the big splash, wasn't he? I mean, yeah. what can you tell me about Draymond Jones and his fit in Seattle? Uh, I like it. I mean, look, he. I don't. I. I don't know if he's. You know, I. I feel like I gotta be careful with the way that I profess how much I like him because I also feel like you know if he's like by far your best defensive lineman, you might be a little bit of a yes of a tough spot. Yep. Like he's a good guy. The bar is low. Right. The bar is the bar is a little bit low. Like he's good, but in a pinch, um, you would like him to be, you know, a cog of something a little bit greater. Right. Like I think with those. With some of those those Denver defensive lines, um, you know, I, I thought that maybe he just fit in there because he didn't have to be, you know, top dog, especially like when Von Miller was still over there and, and, and you know, causing his havoc. So it, it, it's a good spot for him. I think that's a sign you kind of have to make because, whew, like with, without him or really without making that splash, where where was that guy going to come from? Like unless you were willing to take like Tyree Wilson with the fifth pick in the draft and – you know, there's a lot of reasons why that would be reasonable or not reasonable based on how you feel about his medicals. Um, it, it, it kind of became one of those situations where, like, well, we need an impact defense lineman. Where is it going to come from? Uh, luckily, we got, you know, Geno Smith on a contract that allows us to still kind of add to the team. Um, 
and now you have Draymond Jones, who, who, like he, he's he's a guy to me. It's like he can be like a B plus level of of whether you need a one gap guy or a two gap guy, which is good to have. Um, but I still think it needs to be buoyed with something a little bit more than what they have around him. Like I'm, I, I would be a little concerned about you know bringing Jerron Reed back because I just didn't really see the need for that. You know, I personally, I, I think Shelby Harris is still out there. In free agency, I know right? but that's, yeah, that's to me, that's a better fit than, than what Reed is giving. Me. I, I, mean, when, I agree. When Reed was the Packers, there was, there was nothing there really. And the fact that he might be someone that plays a lot of snaps, it, it's just not the same player that you had, what, like four or five years ago when he had like nine or 10 sacks that one season. So, yep. um, it's tough. It's tough. Uh, I, I don't really know, you know where if if Reed ends up like not working out, then you're stuck with you're stuck with just a lot of to me kind of kind of nah, I mean, crap feels like so mean. To no say, man, but speak free. It, it, it's <laughs> it, it's it's not it's not great. Like if Reed kind of continues to trend where he's training and becomes um, not really a, a, a capable starter for the team, because then you're relying on you know Mario Edwards, Mike Morris. Draymond Jones maybe ends up playing a bigger role than than someone like him is supposed to. Yeah, and then like you kind of end up in the same spot you were last year, where it's Daryl Daryl Taylor and uh, Jenna, and they kind of have to be the splash play guys for this team. I think like they they kind of need Draymond to have his. He's got to he's got to play like a seventeen million dollar player. <laughs> he's got to play like yeah, yeah, like right right off the bat. He's yeah. got to get rolling because. If it's not going to be him, I don't really know who's going to be on the interior. Yeah, I mean, three-year deal, $51 million, 30 of it's guaranteed. That's, I mean, that's big time. I feel like Seattle over the last decade has run out entire defensive lines making less than $30 million guaranteed. So, I mean, to the point that you're making, it just feels like there's no margin for error when Draymond Jones is your best interior defensive lineman, right? To me, it's like he can be your best interior defensive lineman, but like, you need another B level guy to go along with him. Well, and, and so I don't think they have that. Yeah. And so what's interesting to me about uh, Jones is, you know, at least per ESPN's uh, form of measuring it, he had the sixth best pass rush win rate among defensive tackles last year. That is awesome. Pressures are predictive. It's they're sticky yes. sacks. Sacks are like touchdowns, man. You can go on a heater and get a bunch of them, but there's very few players who are going to score a lot of touchdowns every year. There's very few players who are going to get a lot of sacks every year, but pressure is sticky. And so that's great. But like pressure turns into sacks when there's more than one guy providing pressure. It's really hard for just one guy to get through and get home. You need other guys doing that too, to force the quarterback or the running back back into some other players arms, you know, and, and I'm hoping that if Draymond can provide pressure up the middle, which he has shown that he's very good at doing, then you can maybe feed that quarterback into Nwosu or Taylor coming in around the edge instead of just them on their own getting free and then trying to chase someone down. So it's going to be interesting to see, but if he's a guy who can continue that pressure rate, then I think it changes a lot of things because as we've talked about a lot on the show, as I'm sure you agree, pressure up the middle is just more effective than pressure around the end. It just does more to disrupt what the offense is trying to do when the pressure is right in the quarterback's face. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's another math problem, right? It, it's, it's much more disorienting. I, I, cause sometimes I think 
there are, there are times like when you have edge pressure and occasionally like if a quarterback can't see it, that can be a benefit to the quarterback at times because if they don't know what's coming. They'll just sit in there and fire and then take the hit after. But like if I can see a bull running straight at me two feet away from me, that's going to disrupt everything I do unless, you know, you, you get some of these guys, you know, who just don't give a damn about getting hurt and they're wired differently and they're kind of freaks. Right. Um, <laughs> that's like, I, I, some of those quarterbacks who just sit there and eat all those punishments and like Andrew Luck just say, thank you. That shit was weird. <laughs> but, um, yeah. <laughs> you know, interior pressure, it's always better because you're going to flush the pocket. You're going to like immediately break down the source of a play. Um, and like anytime you can get a quarterback, like within seconds of the ball, being snapped like if he's flushing to his right or his left then you get into a situation where sometimes like the receiver hasn't even made his break yet and he has his back to the quarterback like those are the spots where you can start you know pulling in turnovers sacks fumbles interceptions so it, it's really important and i think what's interesting about like where seattle is is set up i don't know if if their edge rushers are top flight like we're gonna go out and do 10 sack guys but I really like the idea of both of them as like cleanup guys, like yeah. in, in order to, to clean up off of Jermont Jones. Um, if he can end up, you know, really either taking that next step and becoming like a true deal elite tackle, or like you said, maintaining that pressure rate from a year ago. Um, I will, I'm interested to see how that looks without guys, you know, like DJ Jones and Bradley Chubb for part of the year with mm-hmm. Gregory next to him. But, but still he's a capable player in his own right. And, for him, it you gotta play up to the contract you just signed. Yeah, yeah, and I'm I'm glad we're talking about Nwosu and Taylor because they're who I wanted to touch on next. You know, they each had nine and a half sacks last year, but again, we don't know if that's. I guess my question to you is: Do you think that those numbers are indicative of their true talent? Like, are these true ten sack players, or is it just kind of a function of the disorganized chaos that Seattle had up front last year? You know, I I don't I maybe I need to watch more Taylor. I still think that he has potential to be like a ten sack guy, like just off his own merits. Just because I I think, and this is this is just like a scouting thing. When I was watching him at Tennessee, like a lot of guys can get, you know, you have the burst to like get off the ball and get to like the back hip of an offensive tackle when you're doing your pass rush. A lot of guys can get to that point. What separates guys? you know, like your solid starters to someone who actually convert those into sacks is guys who have like the lower body flexibility to kind of cut a corner while a 300 plus guy is pushing on them and really get to the end, like power through and then get the sack. I think that he has some of those traits. Um, But, you know, he's, he's still a young guy. He's still a guy that's, that's still trying to grow and get used to the NFL game. So he's the one guy I wouldn't write off. I, 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 to me, I think the chant is more of like a, um, a uh, like an auxiliary pass rusher. To me, he's like your ideal. Like if your third edge rusher, you're you're looking pretty good. Yeah. Like back when when this when you guys had um Cassius Marsh, right? Yeah. He's like your number three guy. Yeah. That's like the perfect role to, for him to me. Um, but uh, you know, and he was their number one last year. Yeah, right. he was. It's not always he was. It's not always ideal. Um, but still, it, it's a good enough group where. Again, like I, I think Dremont is the key to all of this. If he ends up being this guy that can pull off a lot of pressures and you know kind of make stuff happen up the middle, then I, then those guys are more than capable enough to kind of be like his pass rush backup. Uh, and I think Taylor still has the potential to be something that 
um, a lot of teams will cover and, and want to have. Yeah, you know, he's he's the thing with Taylor is he does have that bend, right? Where to your point, you get you know, offensive tackles are baddest dudes on the planet, a lot of them. And if you can get Hell one of yeah. those guys, they got the hands on you, and you can still get underneath, keep your balance, keep your feet, and bend that edge to the quarterback. I agree. That is what separates the really great pass rushers from guys who are just good enough to stay on the field. And you know, I, I do think that Seattle tried to address that exact same thing in the draft. You know, last week we had Michael Sean Dugar on to break down the running backs. And of course, much has been made about how Seattle has used second round picks on their backfield in consecutive years. But what's gone on said in those debates is that the Seahawks have also used second round picks, even higher ones on defensive linemen in each of the past two drafts as well. And, you know, these guys are technically listed as linebackers, but functionally they're they're playing d-line you know uh last year it was boye mafe out of minnesota pick number 40 this year it was a guy i really like in Derek hall out of auburn at 37 both of these guys have some really outstanding athletic ability even among their peers but they're different skill sets too do you have strong feelings about either of these guys um not really honestly i wasn't too crazy about like the hall pick was something that i ended up like liking a little bit more as i i thought about it maybe like you know, I was talking to our our buddy uh, C Mike Griff after uh, <laughs> yeah. after the Seattle draft because you know we like to talk about the people buying stuff sometimes. So yeah, I wasn't wasn't too high on him, but yeah, at least like taking him at thirty seven because to me at thirty seven, man, like you're trying to get someone who can like start in like a serious you know yeah. get after kind of way. Yeah. And to me, I, I didn't I didn't think he was that kind of guy. To me, he's more like a strong piece in rotation, but. That's not necessarily bad for like what you already have assembled. Uh, I don't, I don't, I don't think that this is a this is necessarily a bad edge group for Seattle. It's more just like unproven. Yeah, and you don't have a whole lot of like to, to be frank, just a whole lot of reps between like the guys who aren't Nuosu. Right, there's, there's it's it's a pretty young group, so um, we'll see like what happens. But it's not like you're in dire situation and you don't have shit going on you're trying to figure out oh well what the fuck are we going to do at edge this year you're just kind of in a wait and see we'll see what happens we have some nice prospects that we can think of i think Derek hall like he he has the potential to end up being a starter we'll see like how that turns out but for now like having him as just a part of the rotation is not it's, it's not really a bad spot to be in I want to touch on something that you said a couple minutes ago about how you think that draymond jones is the key to kind of unlock all this, because like you mentioned, it does feel like they have four guys that they like at edge. But back at the beginning of the show, we were talking about different techniques and different body types. And so for the sake of this conversation, we've included the outside linebackers as defensive linemen because they're the, the pass rushers. But those guys in in the Seahawks scheme are generally around like the 250 pound, 260 pound guys. Whereas Draymond Jones is like the 280 like the five tech that can reduce inside feels like the only guys that they've really had in seattle on the interior that isn't like you know a tony mcdaniel or al woods these 300 quentin uh, jefferson just freaking going ankle deep in the turf just big big hog mollies in there getting after it in the trenches are uh michael bennett and then when they traded for jadevian Clowney, whereas they're these guys that aren't just kind of occupying blockers on the inside 
they're creating that chaos. They're attracting the attention so that the guys on the outside can get those one-on-one matchups so that the offensive coordinators are diverting their resources to the interior so that these guys on the outside can get after it. And exactly like you said, it feels like with if Draymond Jones can live up to or come close to the $17 million a year billing, then these guys are going to get matchups. It's just we don't know who's going to take advantage. Because last year, like we said, Nuosu was their number one. And so all of their attention is on these edge guys that aren't true alphas on the line. So it's going to be fascinating to see how it plays out. Yeah, I mean, I I think like it's important to note that even having one guy who can get after it from the interior is is huge. Like I I go back to the Falcons a lot because they're my favorite team, but – the Falcons have been <laughs> atrocious on defense. Like, my entire life watching them since Michael Vick <laughs> was arrested, they have been comically bad on defense. And that was like 15 years ago. But, you know, I, I say like with this current iteration of the Falcons, they've had some terrible defenses, but like you have points where you can kind of make something happen because Grady Jerry is so damn good. Right? You have points where you can make something happen because – all of a sudden, a routine play has become a quarterback running out of the pocket and he's throwing the ball away on third down or something like that because you have that that guy in there. And it, 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 I, don't, I don't know how to make it show up in a stat sheet or you know, an advanced stat sheet or a charging thing, but it really just makes everything so much easier when you have even, – even if it's just one guy who can do that. Because um, if you're just dealing with like – pockets that are the shape of a bowl all day you're not getting any anything up the middle then you know it gets harder for your edge rushers obviously it gets harder for your back seven and that's where you get into a spot where you know you start testing the coverage versus pass rep stuff which is like its own its own entire podcast episode for like another <laughs> day but um it, it it really is important to have draymond jones be that linchpin one because like i said any any team that has one guy that can do that, like you have a chance to get off the field. Like most, there's like you at least have a chance to get off the field on third down. And two, if it's not him, who the hell else is it going to be on this team? I don't know. I don't think it's going to be Jerron Reed. Maybe Mike Morris can be that guy down the road, but that's kind of asking a lot for him right now. So, yeah. So yeah, Jermont Jones, it's it's your turn. Well, and and that's the thing about D-line is you got to have a lot of dudes. Like you said, it's an exhausting position. I think most teams probably carry more defensive linemen than they do any other position. So you need depth. You need a rotation. We've talked about the top five or six guys, but that's not enough. Now, Mike, you've got a list of some of the fellows further down the chart, yeah? Yeah, so we can kind of go position by position. Uh the outside linebackers, the edges, they've got Alton Robinson, who's had flashes in the past, but he's been hurt the past year or two. Tyreek Smith was a rookie last year uh, who missed the entire season. They've got Cam Bright, a uh, rookie, I think, undrafted out of UW. Not really any needle movers in there. Did you ever uh, get your hands on any Tyreek Smith tape or Alton Robinson tape? Uh, not Tyreek, really, but I did watch Alton. That, to me, like that description that you had of him, Sounds like he was like it was Syracuse, right? Um, yep. Yep. Like, dude, like I watched him. I remember I, I I didn't watch like a whole lot of him at Syracuse, but I when I watched him and like you see like the peak plays, I'm like, damn, dude. Like you, there are times like when you look like if I he, okay, he's one of those guys where if I cut up his ten best plays, the holy shit, like this guy <laughs> is really something special. But 
you know, it, it's just not there all the time. But it makes you think, like, maybe we can develop him into something. And it, it's funny because you have these guys who, like, kind of last in the NFL for a long time despite never doing something. It's always because the coach sees them and be like, yo, okay, I can be the one. You're right. He's yeah. breaking out. He's breaking out. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and look, if, we, if he just gets me, this is, this is going to work. Um, I didn't really see too much of Tyreek Smith, but Alden was like, man, I don't know what's missing here, but clearly something's off if you're going in like day three instead of the top of the first yep. round. So then after that, we can touch on the listed defensive ends on the roster, uh, which are more interior guys, but not necessarily nose tackles. So we talked about Jaron Reed coming back. Mario Edwards now on the Seahawks roster to kind of fill in the blanks. And then we mentioned Mike Morris as well. What do you guys think about Mario Edwards joining the team? Jack of all trades, master of none type of guy. He's interesting though, because well, I, well, not really, but no, he's not like really interesting. I just think his career arc has been interesting because I remember when he was coming out in high school, he was like the number one recruit in the country, and then <laughs> in college it, it wasn't wasn't quite that, and he was kind of like a, a fourth grade defensive end that was kind of miscast as that at Florida State, and then kind of found his his home as a a flex guy, and now he's like he's played for. I think almost a decade now yeah. um, on, on a handful of different teams. So he's like, he's like your, your, your quintessential like depth piece that you feel like you can trust when he has to go out there. Like I would feel so much better about this Seahawks defensive line. If I could just replace Jaron Reed with Shelby Harris, like just something that's a feasible plan that's out there. You have Draymond Jones, Shelby Harris, and then like Mario Edwards is like the rotational guy in there. To me, it just it feels a lot better than what they have right now. And to me, it's more just like that's really about how how low I am on not, number ninety than the rest of it. Because yeah. man, his Green Bay stuff, they, they like they couldn't wait to get him out of there. He just wasn't that good. And, and to me, sometimes you you feel you feel like you have these moments where NFL teams get for lack of a better term, a little lazy with their acquisition and, and how they handle that. And to me, this just kind of felt like uh, familiarity signing. We're going to bring him back and hope that we can tap into something that was there a few years ago. Yeah. Well, you know, Shelby Harris's name has come up a few times already, and I'm glad it has because he's somebody that both Mike and I are kind of like, Hey man, if he's still out there, like, get this guy, bring him back. And obviously you got to make the money fit, right? Like he was good last Ooh. year. He was good in Denver. He's looking for a bag and we're all pro bag here. But uh, as we get closer and closer to, I mean, OTAs are starting. It's almost preseason. Dude's going to want to be on a team sooner or later. And he's got the familiarity. The fans like him from what we understand. The coaches like him. It just, it seems funny to say about a player like Shelby Harris, who's not like amazing, but I would feel so much better if he was back on this team. Right. And he, he's kind of like one of those, uh, I, 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 one of my buddies that covers the NBA, he calls them like per 36 minute all-stars mm-hmm. where it's like, you know, yep. if, if, if we're, if, if we're starting for 90% of the snaps, maybe we might run into some issues, but uh, if you can just come in and play for, you know, a good 20 snaps and really get after and, and post like that high pressure that I know he had last year or, or whatever, like his snap rate was last year. That's still a valuable commodity to have. You know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not over here thinking that he is, you know, one of these, uh, like blue chip level defensive linemen, but his specific skill set, I think is something that would be useful 
um, with, with the current setup of this defense. And those 20 snaps are snaps that can be taken away from a rookie who's getting his first NFL action. So you give Mike Morris five snaps a game or 10 snaps a game as opposed to 30. Yeah, right. Yeah. Because you're trying to win this year. You don't You don't need to develop your favorite round. You're trying to get to a Super Bowl. There's uh, one last player I want to touch on before we move on real quick. And it's a guy that Seattle took in the fourth round out of Mississippi State. Cam Young. You watch any of him? No, I didn't get to him this year. I miss him entirely. Yeah. Yeah. That, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe he'll surprise us, right? I don't know. I got nothing on him, to be honest with you. I'm not going to sit here and bullshit you. <laughs> nope. I appreciate that. I don't have much on him either. So I'm right there with you. All right. Last thing before we get out of here. After everything we've talked about with the Seahawks roster, taking into account the strength of the secondary behind the defensive front, what scheme do you think these guys are best suited to play in 2023? Because they didn't have identity up front last year. Mm. That's tough. Because it's like, if you're going to, I think if you're going to put them in uh, a specific scheme. You've just been hired. You've just been hired as defensive coordinator. You got, you got a month. Okay. Okay. You know, I'm going to, you know, to go over this real quick. I, I, I would maybe try to play something like where this the um like what Brandon Staley has done a little bit where we're not quitting on run defense but like we're going lighter up there because maybe we just don't have the personnel to really just sit in, in heavier stuff all day and I don't I don't think that's necessarily a crime if like you can get your pass defense like in on on the back end because um. You're, 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 to me, no matter what, with the personnel, you're already set up to have a pretty poor run defense. We'll see if it's as bad as last year or, um, you know, like as bad as where the Browns and the Chargers were for a good chunk of the year last year. Um, and I don't know if, if having a defense where, you know, this iteration of, of Jaron Reed is going to end up being a big factor of our rotation. I don't know if that's really a plus. So maybe we just say, fuck it. And go, we're going to go like all Madden defense, right? Draymond Jones, you're going to be on the field for like 80% of the <laughs> plays. And then we're going to have this rotation of, uh, you know, of, of younger guys who have all these different body types and try and just mix and match them in different gaps and see what works um, works around that. I, I, I think you're looking at a defense that it can be like aggressive and multiple in a way. And I hate the term multiple because it, it usually just means nothing. Like it's just fodder that coaches will throw out there at a you know preseason press conference just to, to keep it moving. But what I when I say multiple, I mean you know you have Draymond Jones who's like your two hundred eighty pound guy. You got Mike Morris who's a giant giant wingspan six five like two hundred eighty pound guy that theoretically based on his body type should be able to play a handful of positions. You got Mafia, you got Taylor, you got Uchenna, um, you got Derek Hall who. You know, I, I think when you look at Taylor and Chenna specifically, those guys are probably just like strictly outside edge rushers. But Derek Hall, like he's got enough beef maybe where he can rush over a guard from time to time. And I think that's where you're going to have to figure it out um, if you're if you're like the Seahawks. Because look, if I'm if I'm installing these defenses, looking at the defensive line, I don't know that we have a whole lot of like overwhelming singular talents that are going to win us a lot of one-on-one matchups, but I do know we have a lot of tinkering that we can do to try and create and hunt like an offensive line to worst player with maybe someone who's more or, you know, more athletic than what they would normally face. So it's a trade-off. 
like, are, are we going to go a little bit smaller and try to get up the field um, and stop the pass? Because I think that might be their best mode of operation just based on the bodies that they have right now. Yeah, well, you guys heard it here. Hot young new defensive coordinator Charles McDonald is going to institute the fuck it defense. <laughs> <That's right>. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, <laughs> Jamal, please save us. <laughs> yeah. Although I will say, I will say, if if you're getting more steadiness in the second level with Bobby Wagner being there, and it's sounding like Jordan Brooks is going to be back for at least part of this season, then maybe you can get away with that a little bit more. Put more wind into your mainsails, lean into your strengths instead of you know, trying to manufacture fixes to your weaknesses. Yeah. And look, the, the secondary, it should be pretty good. If Jamal, Jamal is back, drafted Devon Witherspoon in the first round, obviously Tariq Willen is a stud too. So there's, I think there's room for the defense to get better as a whole, but up front, I think it might have to be maybe a little more tinkering than, than we've seen from them. Um, and I remember when, uh, when uh, Patrick Graham was the defensive coordinator for the Giants a couple of years ago, they they were running this shit called uh, an amoeba front, where basically yeah. you have no one in the stance, right? You've got no one in the stance, and everyone just kind of, you know, running all over the place before the snap, and then when the ball's hiked, you go back into your respective assignments. Maybe we see stuff like that from Seattle, because um, I don't think they have, like, the biggest group up front where you're stereotypical, just get down and go – Fuck them up. I don't know if that's going to work for them. Last question before we get out of here. The Seahawks were top 10 in the NFL in sacks last year, even though, as we've discussed, we wouldn't put their personnel maybe in that range uh, around the league rankings-wise. Do you think that they can up that number by 15 or more strictly off of the aesthetic of their new jerseys that just came out just in that one game, <laughs> just like 15 to 20 sacks in that one game. Like they're going to be, those are sack getting that jerseys. That might be realistic. Yeah. I, I think you're, I, I think you might be undershooting that. Okay. okay. Um, well, well, what we need the Seahawks to do is kind of start a movement. Yes. Here. Like there's so many teams that would be better serviced by wearing modern versions of their old uniform. Yeah. Because I, I Dude, actually, the Falcons, I was, right? Falcons, one of them. I, but I, I was, I was t- actually I was talking to my buddy Harry Lyles this morning, who's a another big Falcons fan, and he he came up with the take, and I think I kind of agree with it that not all of the old jerseys were great, but almost all of them look great fitted as the new jerseys that we have now where the sleeves aren't down to the wrists with like shoulder pads (laughs) up to the helmet precisely where you don't have like like where you're wearing like halfway cut off jerseys you got bellies hanging out and stuff right we Uh, just we just want tailored versions right just take them to the tailor precisely a tailored version of of these uh jerseys because i look I, I remember when I used to look at the Seahawks jerseys, I'm like, okay, like the old ones, the ones that they had to throw back with today. I was like, okay, these are fresh, but like it just, the way that the, they fit over the pads, it, there's some room for improvement here. And then you see <laughs> what it looks like today and it looks amazing. So yep. it, it's time to go back. It's time to go back. And I think the Eagles are another big team that needs mm. to think about this. Go back to the Kelly Green jerseys. Get them all kitted out and fitted out so they fit on today's jerseys. And I think it's be a really big increase on, on jersey sales. And we just need a more colorful NFL in the first place. Like I feel like there's too many dark, dark tones. We need to bring back some color and some feel to this league. One of my takes is we should do the same thing for the NBA. Yes. Like most of those vintage jerseys are 
Absolutely. So nice. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, like precisely. But like when you walk, when you look back and you see like Reggie Miller and his jerseys like hanging halfway down exactly. his arm and shit like that, like. Come on, let's clean that up. Let's get it fixed up with modern technology. It's funny that like for 30 years, these millionaire athletes were just wearing jerseys off the rack. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. It's so funny when you, when you watch like, um, like old, old, like ACC football from the nineties and like their jerseys literally don't fit. And I'm sure some of it's by choice. Like Ray Lewis walking around with his abs out. I'm sure that's, that was his choice. But some of these guys, like, you're just stuck. You don't, you just have equipment that doesn't fit and shit like that. That blows my mind. I'm glad, I'm glad that I got to play football in an era where all of my equipment fit. Yeah. Very blessed stuff. <laughs> uh, listen, Charles, uh, this has been awesome. We really appreciate you taking the time to hop in and make us all a little bit smarter today. Yeah, anytime, anytime. Glad to, glad to stop by. Like I said before the show, we got some, uh, some cool stuff we're working on at Yahoo. So you can just be patient with us for like a month and a half. We'll we'll have some shit for you guys uh, for the upcoming season that we're really excited to be working on. Yeah, man. We'll be looking forward to that. Before we get out of here, where can folks find more of your stuff in the meantime? Uh, You can find me here uh, on Twitter at Fort Verts. I'm doing a lot of work with my coworkers, Charles Robinson and Jory Epstein, on uh, the Yahoo Football podcast called You Pod to Win the Game. Um, Sometimes over on the Fancy Football podcast with Matt Harmon, my own podcast, Example, will be coming back in a few weeks. Uh, still writing columns, about to hit the training camp tour. So, look, football's back. Got a busy few weeks ahead. And like I was talking to my friends, the sprint to May 2024 has officially <laughs> Yeah, amen to that, man. <laughs> That's going to do it for today, folks. As always, you can find Mike and I on social media. I am on Twitter at at Jackson Bevins. That's J-A-C-S-O-N. Mike is on Twitter at at Mike Barwin. And the show itself is at Cigar Thoughts. You can also find us on Instagram and threads at Cigar Thoughts NFL and on YouTube, Facebook, and TikTok at at Cigar Thoughts. Of course, you can listen to this show and read every article at fieldgoals.com slash Cigar Thoughts. And if you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts and you like the show, drop us a five-star rating and leave a quick review. Finally, be sure to check out CigarThoughtsNFL.com to get your exclusive Cigar Thoughts cigars or hit me up on Twitter and I'll shoot you the deets. And when you buy these cigars, reach out on Twitter or Instagram with a pic and tell us what you think. Thank you to all of y'all listening for your continued support of the show. We know you only got so much time for podcasts, and it's an honor to be a part of that for y'all. Please know that by sharing the show on social media and with your friends, you give us the juice to keep making it happen. We'll be back soon, but in the meantime, onwards and upwards, my friends. Mm-hmm.